Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information about cutting-edge learning design. Today we have with us Donnie Patrick. Donnie's an expert in the application of instructional strategies with a strong military background. He's currently employed as an ISD manager at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. Graham and I are glad to have you on the show. Welcome, Donnie. Thank you. Yes, and welcome. And Donnie, I think the first place to start is perhaps for you to explain just a little bit more about your background and particularly the kind of experience you've had with virtual learning. Yes, yes. So over the last about 30 years, I've, I've been involved in the learning and development field, you know, doing various things from, you know, standing up in instructional programs. Uh, in the cybersecurity realm, uh, all the way into you know how to how to disarm weapons or, or munitions, everything from management and leadership courses. And as we know, just as this this wonderful time that that we're that we're in right now, we get to play with the virtual uh, instructor-led training. We get to see what's the best way to do that. How? What are some of the skills that, that instructors need? to optimally deliver learning. And, and so, you know, back in, I, I can think back when, say, LaserDisc came out, and, and I was excited about implementing LaserDiscs in, in stand-up instruction. Well, that was just a new technology, right? It's just, a, it's just another medium in, in the way we deliver learning. Well, now we fast forward to where we are now, and, and we look at virtual learning. How, how are we doing this, and how is that coming across, and, and how are we helping instructors deliver that material. You know, it's a, it's a massive topic. So, and that's what I'm excited to talk to you about. Well, it is a massive to topic, Donnie. And obviously today we can only kind of scratch the surface of some, some key issues, but it certainly is wildly different than classroom learning. And, and what it takes to design and deliver virtual learning, it is so different, isn't it? And that's what I think people are having to come to terms with. It is, it is, and, and I completely agree. You know, the, the obvious things that, that instructors miss is some of that body language, but it's also, it, it's also an opportunity for us. And, and something that, that I've seen is, it, it, it's similar to an e-learning delivery, um, in that if you incorporate some of Gagne's nine events and, and you incorporate those steps and, and understand how, you know, maybe the instructor is not going to be able to read those nonverbals, so they need to be able to completely be clear on what the expectations are. Um, they need to clearly convey those objectives. They need to clearly, you know, ensure that as we get into practice and, and you go through some of those steps, that, that it's clearly defined. You're, you're making sure that you're going through that progression for learning. Um, something that, you know, as, as Dr. Art Kahn has put out there and, and he talks about boosts and bursts, he talks about that in a way that, that after they had learned that initial content and that virtual delivery is given, how, what's that boost and burst that we go out and do after that initial learning is done? And, and that's where I feel it's, it's similar to uh, e-learning. You know, what are we doing to ensure that we can walk through and, and make sure that, that good learning takes place in this virtual environment. Yeah. 
because the reality is it's going to be this way for a long time, if not forever. Yeah. Yes. Yes, definitely. I see that. I see that. You know, I can, I can definitely say that, you know, over the next probably a couple of years, um, I think we're going to be able to step back and look at what did we learn over these, these last couple of years and, and what are we doing right now to ensure that, that we are capturing good data, that, that we're designing good evaluation strategies, that, that we understand the data that we need to collect. So long-term, when we go back to, say, make recommendations for uh, delivering virtual learning again, or virtual instructor-led training, uh, once we go back to that norm of what was prior to this, this era, you know, how are we going to have that data to support our recommendations for virtual delivery? You know, right now we're kind of playing in that realm. But for me, I've never had as much sponsor support. So we just need to make sure that we're employing good evaluation strategies and that we've collected the data that will give us direction to do proper media analysis in the future. As we've gone into making recommendations and doing things with uh, for sponsors, uh, in, in my case, I work with many sponsors in, in different fields, you know, everything from academia to the Department of Energy to the International Atomic Energy Agency, and rolling out curriculum throughout the world. And, and as I do that, I make recommendations. And a lot of my credibility is based on the, the research I've done, the, the data that I, I use to make those decisions and those recommendations. Um, a lot of time, I can't find data. I, I can't find credible data. And, and that's where I'm at right now when it comes to going to, you know, the International Atomic Energy Agency, telling them to invest this money and these resources to, you know, rolling out training throughout the world to multiple countries um, in critical topics that are very important. And, you know, I, we've got to have the data to support those recommendations. We can't just go in and say, let's try this. We need to be able to support that with credible backed up data. As we do those media analysis, we take that data and make that recommendation. So let's dig into that a little more. What are some of the challenges that your instructional designers face as they try to understand that global audience? Are they making accommodations for cultural differences? Help me understand how they're making those adjustments for virtual training. You know, something that, that we struggle with and that we're trying to nail down and understand is we do uh, a lot of interpretation for as, as we deliver meetings, we deliver training. And so that interpreting what the instructor is saying. So one of our biggest challenges um, that we're faced with is what's the best method of interpretation? What does that look like? How do we interpret that, that information to the learner? And I've not really found data to support the best approach. Um, and, and I realized that, you know, uh, simultaneous uh, instruction or, or interpretation is, is better for large audience. And then consecutive um, interpretation is works for smaller audiences. That's something that, that there's no real data out there to show what's the best learning outcome in the way we use that interpretation and the way we deliver it. You know, we're, we're delivering training to anywhere 
between 25 people to 180 people I was on a call with just recently. And, and it can go on for two hours. And how do we ensure that that training is engaging, that we're delivering it in the right way? I'm, I'm thinking and, and I'm experimenting with, with how XAPI can be used, experiential learning and understanding how that capability can maybe engage with and, and understand what they do with some of that learning and, and how, do we, how do we collect some of that data to, to check for results and the outcomes. And so that's, that's, one, of our, that's one of our challenges. Another issue is, is making sure that, that the psychomotor skills are, are being implemented. How do, we, how do we teach some of these psychomotor skills virtually? Uh, we're playing with AR and VR right now. And, and, you know, I don't really have much data to support which medium is more appropriate for AR or VR. When I do my media analysis, I break down the data and I try to figure out what's the best recommendation there. And, you know, there's not much out there. The only uh, research I found is that children are more adaptable to implementing learning after they've used AR, whereas adults in, in the older ages in these senior positions are not as adapted to applying that VR. And, and I take that to what they grew up with, the technology, and, and they're just not able to transfer that knowledge over to actual hands-on experience. Have you looked at any of the simulation research at all? One of the studies that jump out to me was one from the airlines where they did the nine levels of uh, simulation, starting with like a card board wraparound for pilots. Could they generally move their hands in the right direction as if they were landing a plane in a crash situation all the way through to a level nine where they actually crashed a sim into a swimming pool. Um, but the, you're right. There isn't a lot of research out there. Yes. Yeah. In fact, some of that low tech type of uh, VR is, is an effective way of, of building on some of those psychomotor skills. I've seen some where they go and they take their cell phone and they can mirror it over certain devices and step them through a sequence of events as, as airline pilots are sitting there, you know, trying to get the master a sequence of events um, so they can go in and go through that just naturally as that emergency comes up. I think that's a very effective way to, to, to use it as well. And, and I, I have not read that study specifically, but I can, I can picture what that looks like in, in relation to other things that I've worked on. It was a nice study because um, it showed from an adult learning perspective that simple through to a complex task um, and the repetition from like a super simple level one had them much more prepared and spent a lot less time at the higher level, more cost intensive uh, simulators. Yeah, I'm going to have to read that. And, and that's definitely something I would like to implement. And and understand and kind of break those down and put them into a media analysis process on what kind of data can provide guidance into recommending AR and VR. Yeah, those cognitive strategies really help. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you think the outlook for virtual training is in the next few years. This is a great question. So I talked about how I was excited about LaserDisc, how that has progressed onto, you know, Going back from LaserDisc to, I remember DVDs being the big thing and, and how all technology was evolving. And, and I credit this environment that we're in to being different in that, in that yes, it's, it's, 
it's a change, right? It's, it's something that, that those of us that are in the field can be excited about. It drives change. It drives improvement. And so as I've looked back and, and as I'm working on all these different projects and advising, I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, what does this mean in, in one to two, three years? You know, what does that look like? How can we, how can we incorporate some of our best practices today that we're playing with? And, and so I, I, think, I think in one to two years, virtual instructor-led delivery training of, of learning is going to be a standard. It's going to be a norm where we recommend as, as you know, masters of this craft of learning, we recommend, hey, this topic or this objective is optimally taught in a virtual instructor delivery. And, and we won't be given the, let's give this in, in, in person. Let's go ahead and, and fly all these people into this other you know, region or whatever. Let's, let's make these mass learnings in, in face-to-face. I think we're gonna have more credibility. But I, I continue to, to say that we need to be able to collect data. We need to be able to bring credibility to these recommendations as we move on to the next phase. And, and I would say the next phase of this time that we're in is, is our recommendations are credible. We're, you know, we don't have to show and show data to prove why we want to go this route. It, it's going to be easier to recommend it. So as we look at technology, and, and that's why I was thinking back to, to the LaserDisc area and going through how e-learning was developed. And, and I remember sitting down and having conversations with, with people that, you know, oh, e-learning is not gonna deliver that. That's, you know, we just can't do it in that way. And, you know, although we were putting, you know, significant work into making sure the instructional strategies were there, making sure it was engaging, making sure that the evaluation strategy was there, we were getting the outcome of what, what was needed. I think that, that the future is, is we'll be able to, to recommend virtual instructor-led delivery uh, with credibility. We'll be able to have some of that data to support it. I love it. There's been some noise in the field that after COVID is over, that perhaps the rush to put things online has undermined the future of virtual training and that there's so much mediocre instruction out there now because they had to do it quickly and they were less worried about quality. Can you speak to that for a moment? You know, I think the, the, the biggest thing to help us get credibility with the, the content that we're creating and delivering right now is for teachers as they're faced with that, that challenge, um, is to reach out in forums and, and multiple ways of engaging with instructional designers and, and understand how we can help them you know, in, in many ways. I mean, we can just give them some small advice on, on best practices and as they try to transfer these. And, and I know in larger organizations, like the ones that I work with, they're able to hire out and, and get professional instructional designers to be actively involved in, and help them and, and coach them through the delivery process. So I think one of the best things is, is you know, go out and do some research, understand the best ways to deliver that, engage with, with instructional designers, engage with people that have been in the field for you know, many years and, and have that mastered that craft of learning development. And then push the limits. I think experiment, try. You know, something I've been doing over the last few years is, is I take those, those instructional theories that I learned back in school 
And, and I played with those. I tried to, you know, I know this can work. How, how's the best way I can do that? And I incorporate other, you know, avenues. How can I, you know, take cognitive information processing? How can I take some of these approaches and, and play with that? How can I implement some of Dr. Khan's approaches? And how can I, how can I take masters in the field and start implementing some of those things that, you know, they weren't the norm that, that I could reach out and do on, on a regular basis. Whereas now with this exciting time, we can, we can try different things, you know, but, but do it on a solid foundation. I think that's, that's key. So then we have good instruction that, that is being delivered in a virtual environment. So we don't have that stigma in say 10 years when people look back and say, what were they doing in that time? And, you know, professionals will say they did some good things back then and they collected good data. And you know what? They helped us on the path we're on now where, who knows, 75% of public education could go to virtual. Who knows where we could be? And, and, and it all depends on what kind of data, what kind of evaluation strategies, how we're doing that, how we're shaping what the future looks like. Tony, that sounds like really good advice, almost in a medium term context. And, and I want to talk for a minute about the very short term context, because yeah. a lot of people listening to this podcast are having to very rapidly migrate classroom learning solutions into virtual solutions, very rapidly. If you could give them two or three golden nuggets, things that they've really got to bear in mind to make sure that what they produce is good. What would those two or three nuggets be, perhaps? I think the best advice that I could give somebody would be to rethink the engagement points in the way that their, their current curriculum is, is created. And, and at those points, Think of what's the best instructional strategy, what is the best theory to apply for this virtual delivery mechanism now? How do we rethink those engagement points with the, with the, with the learner? I've created a, a chart that I've given to um, all my colleagues that I work with, and, and I'll be happy to share that with you as well. But it... It's a chart that goes over just your knowledge, comprehension, application, and analysis. It walks through those four things in, in the way, the best way to engage a learner in a virtual environment. And, and it just goes through simple steps. Like I put for knowledge in the instructional strategy. I put uh, play with cognitive information processing. And then I said, you know, implement some of Dr. Art Kahn's approach. Um, look at the way we can continue learning as it goes on. Um, and then I put a little note in here that uh, CIP, Cognitive Information Process, says learners have limited working memory. Um, Dr. Art Kahn says relate a story that extends that working memory. Um, bring some affective domain objectives into that. Relate to people's emotion. Um, that will extend that memory. Think of ways you can engage in that manner. And, and then I put the delivery method. I put for adults, think on prior knowledge, understand what they bring to the game. They're not just a clean slate as they walk into your, 
your, your media, your virtual delivery. Remember what they have as they come into the class. Uh, use videos, use ways of explaining things, use things outside of just your virtual delivery. Think of how you can do that. I, I put some notes in here for, for comprehension. Um, think of cognitive and, and knowledge development, what that's gonna look like, your delivery method. Make, create some short engagement of quizzes. Create opportunities for people to comprehend what they're getting, give them some time to reflect, and, and let them embed what that means to them. Reflect on that, have them document it. Um, chunk that material up well. For application, uh, think of situational cognition. That's, that's where people are working in an environment um, or playing in that environment that you're trying to teach them. Give them a non-threatening environment and have them apply that in that environment and, and potentially roll it out that way. Um, think of adult learners in that prior knowledge. They're going to have some prior relevant knowledge and experience. Have them apply that. Let them experiment with it. That will heighten that application level of learning. Um, uh, create examples and activities around real-world applicable uh, content that applies to the learner. Uh, give time for discussion and help relax the learners with light questioning that are non-threatening. Give them ways to, to think through things. Um, I put for analysis. Create the level of learning that is going to be applicable at this level. This is, this is the higher levels of learning. Uh, we're gonna have to make sure that we give good boosts and bursts afterwards. Give them just in time or micro learning, whatever, whatever the new buzzword is today uh, for or you know, continuing human performance. What does that look like after the learner leaves that virtual delivery? Are you giving them some micro learning afterwards and, and give them some, you know, some performance enhancement tools? Give them, give them things that, that they can apply. And that's how you're gonna get to this analysis level. Um, it's not gonna master, you're not gonna master that analysis level in a virtual single delivery. So don't, don't try to overdo that. Don't overteach things. Let them go on and, and experiment. That's the only way you're gonna do it. And then I just put how the affective domain is important to hit on. And you know, it's, it's important to, to give some of that motivation. You want to help the learners self-regulate what they do. And that's the only way that you're really gonna build on that affective domain. And, and I put in here uh, little cues about how can you incorporate some stories that are impactful for the learner? Don't make it all new knowledge that they have to retain. Relate some stories in there. Relate case studies. Relate things that make an impact on the learner. And, and I think that's, those are real ways of, of implementing good learning in a virtual environment. So what I hear you saying is that for a quick course conversion from classroom to virtual, you're recommending mapping out the curriculum and identifying all the engagement points and then increasing the virtual engagement opportunities and, and circling back to stay anchored to good instructional design research. Those are two great tips for our listeners. Thanks, Donnie.
Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to the Leaders and Learning podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a weekly podcast for cutting edge learning design. To learn more about today's topics, please visit us at blueconsultingandresourcing.com. 